This talk is offered by Ordinary Mind Zendo. Ordinary Mind was founded by Barry Majid, Dharma heir of Charlotte Joko Beck, and is dedicated to her vision of a psychologically minded Zen practice adapted to the needs of American students practicing in the context of their everyday lives. Our public programs are made possible by donations from people like you. Last month, at our February day-long sitting, I went up to Dokusan to see Pat, and I knelt down on the cushions in front of her. And I wanted to find some way to say thanks. Uh, didn't really rehearse a speech ahead of time, and I just said, I've been coming here for 10 years. Thank you. It's been, and I paused to find the right, what I came up with is ordinary. It's been ordinary. Pat took it as a Zen compliment, which is how it was meant. The Philadelphia Sangha is grateful to Pat. Those of us who've been around long enough to understand what she's been up to, I wouldn't say what she's accomplished. We have a pretty good idea of what she's doing. But, but if you were to ask us what we were grateful for, we'd have a hard time putting into words. Our Zendo isn't exactly a Zen center. It's Pat's home. She welcomes us on Wednesday evenings and Sunday mornings for Zazen, face-to-face -face interview, and Dharma talks. In return, we do a few dishes, work in the garden, pick up trash on the streets, and do a little fixing of broken knobs and appliances. Once a month, she opens the door to us for a whole day of sitting. On those days, from our seats on the cushions, we can hear her working in the kitchen. She's preparing a home-cooked Oriyoki meal for us. She's not exactly a quiet kitchen worker, <laughs> but she's quite a good cook, and Oriyoki can be a real pleasure. She gives good Dharma talks, too. Her talks can be so unassuming that it's easy to miss the Zen sparkle. But how she te teaches is more than talk. After decades of training and practice, she bought a hundred-year-old house in West Philadelphia and hung out her Dharma shingle. People started showing up. They still do. Who would have expected to find it? For our Sangha, Pat's door is the Dharma gate. Who would have expected to find it wide open 
right there in an urban neighborhood of working families, dog walkers, and drug dealers, all in the midst of their everyday lives. It's her gift and her teaching, completely ordinary and freely given. All you have to do is walk through the door that she's holding open. You don't have to come with grand aspirations, although many do. And you don't have to be able to grasp profound and obscure Zen truths, although a lot of us come looking for that. Her invitation is really simple and really, really hard. Just come and be who you already are. You'd think that being yourself is the easiest thing in the world. After all, who else are we going to be but ourselves? But most of us need to come to, come to terms with this me. And that takes time. Mostly because we think Zen is something else. Something other than who we are. And what's right in front of us all the time. We have to exhaust the energy and the ambition behind that something else. We have to exhaust that energy by going after it and failing to get it again and again and again. That's a big part of what Zen practice is, failure. At the end of the lineage of names Claire recited last night, is Pat's name, now mine. But it's not just the straight line from Shakyamuni to me. The name of each one of us is there too. From Buddha, the awakened one, to us. But the line of Dharma transmission isn't exactly a straight line. Sometimes it bends the facts of history, and it's not just one line either. It's more like the phrase invented by a Jewish couple I used to know for their secularized home Shabbat service. They'd light two candles, and Susan would recite the traditional prayer invoking Adonai, our God, ruler of the universe. Then Hugo would deliver a variation that summed up, that summoned up everything that is. From the Big Bang to us, he'd say. The lineage of transmission is but a single line of thread pulled from a much greater fabric of interwoven lines that run in the ten directions, connecting the ten thousand things and reaching to the ends of the universe, all the way to and from us. I want to read, I'm going to read a couple paragraphs from the 1995 issue of the Mountain Record, which is a publication of Zen Mountain Monastery. 
Following the final period of Zazen one evening during Sashim, I wandered out into the night that engulfed the mountain. Lying on the lawn behind the monastery, I marked the progress of a line of bobbing lights carried by the residents as they slowly worked their way up the stone trail in the woods to the cabins further up the mountain. <coughs> Silent swarms of fireflies mirrored a vast <coughs> starlit sky arching above. Each of the countless tiny fireflies winked on, tracing a momentary swerve and wiggle of light across the face of night, and then winked off again. The brief bobbing, winking, and wiggle, the sudden appearance and disappearance, contrasted with and seemed to amplify the grave and implacable splendor of the stars on blinking stare. For each bob, word, and swiggle, and wiggle, a counterpoint in stillness. Lying on that field, at the foot of Tremper Mountain, I suddenly could see the many jeweled net of Indra flung far across the heavens and deep into a knowable night. That tiny flickering gem of consciousness, the errant ignis fatuus wandering inside my skull, which I often refer to as myself, reflected at that moment all the other lights. I am compounded of the stuff of stars, I thought to myself. I am caught up along with all the 10,000 things in Indra's far-flung net. Who I am is not just this bag of skin, I heard Dido saying. Each one of us is as vast and boundless as the universe. That excerpt is from the issue that celebrated the fifth, 15th anniversary of Zen Mountain Monastery. And the article tells the story of the Mountains and Rivers Order, MRO, <coughs> and the history of the building and its site at the foot of Tremper Mountain before there was such a thing as place, starting from the Big Bang and ending with now. It was a pretty overly ambitious article. The byline says the author of the article is Peter Nichols, MRO. And if you look at the masthead, you'll see that the editor is Pat Gikio George, MRO. At that time, Pat was a senior lay student distinguished as one of the white robed ones and I was an ordinary gray road student, but the teacher and abbot John Dido Laurie. I'd been a student there for several years and had been going up from Philadelphia as often as I could to the monastery's week-long monthly sessions. And by that time, I was also a regular contributor to the Mountain Record and had used the articles and the book reviews as clips to, to become a professional writer. 
and I retired from that profession on March 1st and turned 70 the next day. And now I'm sitting on a cushion in front of you wearing this brown rocket From the Big Bang to us. I have no idea how I or all of us arrived here at a Catholic retreat house doing session, transmitting the Buddha Dharma on a Sunday morning. It's infinitely strange. How did this happen? What is it that's happening? For myself, it's not the outcome of some strategic plan with measurable goals and provisions for continuous improvement. I grew up on a farm in South Jersey, dirt road rural. Our house was built by my dad in the middle of an apple orchard surrounded by woods. He built it using a blueprint that he drew on a brown paper bag. By the time I was 20, I found myself wandering inevitably in the fields and woodlands around my home. I didn't really know why I was doing it. I only knew that I had to be there. In all seasons, in all weather, at all times of day. I wasn't doing anything or trying to figure something out. I was just listening, just watching. At least that's what I told myself. I listened to a cedar water string, stream tumbling over a tangle of roots. I watched the woods fill up with snow and listened to ice crystals ticking on dry leaves. I waited for the otter to come down the stream and swim around the pond at dusk. I climbed to the top of an oak tree and watched trees swallow feeding on the wing above a glimmering lake. Once in the late afternoon, the long light of the sun slanted through seed tufts on dry weeds and set the whole field aglow. When I first sat down on a cushion at Zen Mountain Monastery, Zazen felt familiar. It's what I'd been doing all along. I just didn't have a name for it. I was just watching just listening, usually with the question, what is it, hovering in the background, a kind of prolonged state of low-grade wonder at the utter strangeness, the sheer mind-stopping incomprehensibility of ordinary things. Eventually, I realized I'd been praying. I wasn't praying to anybody or for anything. I was just praying. 
in Catholic parlance, I suppose you'd say I have a contemplative vocation. Although not in the juridical sense as a member of a religious order, it's simply what I do naturally. It's who I am. So as you can see, I'm a rather solitary person. And then I met Emily. She's the woman who became my wife. She likes to say that she pulled me from under a rock. And she's not wrong. <laughs> She had a powerful drive to have a family. I hadn't thought much about family, but what I did know is that I wanted Emily. And if a family was part of that deal, I was all in. Starting a family with her was without a doubt the best thing that's ever happened to me. And I was surprised to discover how much I liked being a dad. It was a real joy and really, really hard to. A session that never ends and that you're playing for keeps. One of the things this new life meant was that I no longer had time or money to go to Zen Mountain Monastery, which by their standards meant I was no longer a student there. But eventually, Emily and I found a Catholic church that we liked. <clears throat> I'm a cradle Catholic, baptized as an infant, Raised as an altar boy, mass every Sunday in Latin, eight years of Catholic grammar school, and the Baltimore Catechism. That catechism has this really nice question and answer format. Who made us? God made us. Who is God? God is the supreme being, infinitely perfect, who made all things and keeps them in existence. Why did God make us? God made us to show forth his goodness and share with us his everlasting happiness in heaven. Back then, nobody questioned that God was a him. What must we do to gain the happiness of heaven? To gain the happiness of heaven, we must know, love, and serve God in this world. From whom do we learn to know, love, and serve God? We learn to know, love, and serve God from Jesus Christ, the Son of God, who teaches us through the Catholic Church. The catechism answers built on one another and seem to add up to something. 
God, creation, salvation, everlasting happiness in heaven, all tied up nice and tidy Catholic Church. The church, we learned, was the repository of the truth. There was only one truth, and we had it. We had the answers. Even if the questions weren't the ones we were asking, or the answers anything a fourth grader could make sense of, or a 70-year-old for that matter. But what we lacked in understanding, we made up for with imagination. That too was a teaching. Every day, I was immersed in a parallel universe of the sacred and the supernatural. Saturated with holy water and hymns, bathed in bells and candlelight, inundated with Sunday Mass, Saturday Confession, noontime and Holy Days of Obligation, Stations of the Cross, Benediction, Seven Sacraments, 40 Hours, Holy Communion, the Communion of Saints, the Forgiveness of Sins, the Resurrection of the Body, and Life Everlasting. Amen. It turns out, it wasn't the words of the Catechism that formed me. It was the smell of incense, the muscle memory of countless genuflections, the solemn tones of Gregorian chant. Something about it held me in its grip. But it wasn't some airy next world idea of heaven and hell, which never made sense to me anyway. Something hard to put into words was at play in what the Baltimore Catechism called this world. But like trying to grab hold of a line of smoke rising from an incense stick, I couldn't quite wrap my mind around it. But it was, without a doubt, right here. Eventually, I entered the seminary to become a priest. That was a mistake for all kinds of reasons. And after a couple years, I left. Fled was probably a better word for it. And I settled into a period of indifference toward religious practice. It was a time of not knowing, or maybe waiting. But I had no idea what I was waiting for. Still, the traditions and practices of Catholicism resonate deep in my soul, even as the Buddhist in me insists I don't have one. When my kids were little, we had a bedtime ritual that went something like this. We'd go upstairs to the bedroom and climb into bed together and I'd read a story with them on my lap. Then they'd get, get under the covers and I'd sing a song or two. 
or three. To make the transition of departure less fraught, I'd sit on a black Zafu and Zabaton just outside the bedroom door where they could see me. Was it Zazen? Was it prayer? Or was it just watching? Just listening? Does it even matter what we call it? At dinner table conversations, we often talked about religions. My wife was a Buddhist practitioner, was a practitioner in the uh, Buddhist practitioner in the Tibetan tradition, but she grew up Episcopalian. So our family discussions often went back and forth across the line, dividing Buddhism and, and, and Christianity. And that pretty much rubbed it away. I used to tell my kids that believing or not believing in God didn't matter very much. In the face of what Joko once called the great mystery, which is our life, which is this world, it's impossible to understand what it is you're affirming or denying. Despite the 700 pages of words and letters the latest, in, the latest in the latest edition of the Catechism of the Catholic Church. One day, on a walk in Center City, Philadelphia, my oldest son, Zach, who was by then in his 20s, remarked, you and mom didn't raise us Catholic. You raised us Buddhist. The comment surprised me, but I suppose it's not wrong. These days, Zen is the focus of my formal religious practice, but I still pray the Psalms. At heart, I think I'm more of a woods wanderer, lost, but at home in a in a wilderness that's vast and deep. Words and ideas are of little use here. Attention is all. And there are signs everywhere of something I've never seen directly. A broken twig, a fleeting shadow, a paw print, a mound of scat. Over 70 years, I picked up some Catholic scat and some Zen scat, and I love both of them. But I know they're empty. They're just scat. What left it behind remains elusive outside the scriptures, and not dependent on words and letters, but indisputably alive. About 10 years ago, I'd grown weary with church going and its busy, talkative liturgy. One Sunday morning, 
during the most sacred part of the Mass, I was listening to the words of the priest when suddenly this little voice in the back of my head broke through. It was saying, blah, blah, blah. That's when I saw on the Google pilgrimage that led to my former editor's house and now to St. Raphaela Center and all of us here today. The lineage of the Buddhas and Bodhisattvas, the interwoven lines of Indra's net have all come together here in this place and now at this moment. From the Big Bang to us, the Dharma gate is wide open. All you have to do is walk through it. I can't explain how it all happened or how we got here, but I'm so grateful and so happy to be here with you.